Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. We are going to be in uh, the book of Acts, even though we finished the book of Acts last week. So today I've been, uh, I guess I've given myself the task, or hopefully the Lord's given me the task of teaching the entire book of Acts. So I thought about a couple of different strategies for doing that, (laughs) since we... uh, since we've already gone through it in immense detail, as you guys know the kind of Calvary Chapel way. So one way I could do that is by reading the entire text. Who votes for that? Sean. Some, some faithful people right there. You know. They're like, just read it, dude. We don't want to hear you. <laughs> we just want to hear the word. And honestly, that's a fair, that's a fair judgment. Um, You know, the, the book of Acts, um, let's actually, let's turn to the end. Let's turn to the end of the book of Acts. This is what I, I finished on last week in the teaching. Paul, uh, this is in, in chapter 28, um, beginning in, let's start, let's start in verse 25 of chapter 28 of the book of Acts. So Paul, it's... Uh, He's gone through this shipwreck. He ends up on the island of Malta. Now he ends up in the city of Rome, and uh, it's and, and he's he's telling these uh, these Jewish believers that have come together, these these Pharisees and stuff. Um, he tells them this kind of amazing word, uh, beginning twenty five. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, and this is the word Paul said: "The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying." Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And I I spoke on this a little bit last week just about this idea of, of of people turning in their hearts, right, the, through repentance. But what I want to like drive at today is, is, is this issue, is how did Paul become this man? Do you remember who Paul was? Paul was not the preacher man that we see at the beginning. He was something altogether different. He was a persecutor of the church. Imagine the worst person that you know, okay? Just mental picture in your mind. The worst person that you know. Maybe it's a historical figure. Maybe it's someone closer to your kin that you'd rather not talk about. Whoever that person is. Dastardly, right? I love that word. Dastardly. This is a dastardly figure. A villain, right? That was Paul. How did Paul become this guy who would then go through extreme trial and end up being someone who would, after a shipwreck, be willing to go to Rome and then tell people again and again and again the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? How did he get there? Well, I submit to you it was two things. Oh, I really submit to you there. Uh, it was two experiences in his life. The first was that he was, he was saved. He got born again miraculously, right? And we know that from the readings that we have in in Acts about the road to Damascus. But it was also this second thing, is that he was surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I really want to focus on today. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is actually part of the Trinity. You're like, yes, we know. We've heard that. Well, okay, yes. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I feel like when people talk about the Holy Spirit, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is like the crazy uncle in the basement of the Trinity. 
When I was going to school, I studied music. I studied violin, I studied composing, and I got into this one little subgenre of music called electronic composition, which is what we would do is we would like sample things and we would like we would take the audio files and we'd, we'd, we'd tape processors and we'd use these, these things called the ADAT machines and we'd like, and we'd do all this stuff. And I tell you, every time people went to like a staff meeting where the, all the music professors were all gathered there, whoever taught electronic music was always seen as like, who's that guy? <laughs> because it was always like the crazy uncle in the basement, right? Who has a crazy uncle in their house? Yeah. Well, in your house right now? Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> Whew. It's like, we better pause right here, and you better go just take care of that. <laughs> or in your family, right? Someone that's like, oh, yeah, Uncle Bob, you know? And I think sometimes people, people think about the Holy Spirit erroneously, as that. Like, oh yeah, you know, there's the, or if you're ever sharing your faith, you know, you're like, oh, the Father, Abba. I know, Abba, Father, He loves you so much, right? That He sent His Son, Jesus. And that's about it. You know, <laughs> like we don't talk about the Spirit. And I, and I honestly, I, I get it. Because the Spirit has had sometimes a reputation because of people, of being something you can't quite make sense of, or something you're not quite sure what to do with. And there have been people who have abused the Holy Spirit, and they've said certain things are, are spiritual. If you've turned on the television and heard somebody say something like, the Spirit told me that you in such and such a town should send me $4,000. And it's like, Really? If the Spirit told you that, wouldn't He have like, given you the name too? Like, come on. And like, there's all these crazy things. And so I think sometimes because of all the, the, the things that have been done that are not right, the people get this impression that the Holy Spirit is like, oh, I just kind of, we'll just stick with the Father and the Son, right? But that's an incomplete trinity. It's incomplete. And I'll tell you what, in your lives as believers, if you're, if you're here and you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer, it's incomplete unless it's part of your life as well. You need a loving Father, true. You need a Savior, the Son. You also need the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Who's, who, who comforts you in the night? Who, who speaks to you in the darkness of the soul? Who raises you up? It is the Holy Spirit who directs you, who gives you vision, who, who does something new in your heart when you've been dead in your heart, when you feel like you've got nothing left, when the situations in your life have emptied you. Who fills you? It's the Holy Spirit. Now, in the entirety of the Bible, in the entirety of the Bible, the words Holy Spirit or Spirit of God appear 120 times. And there may be a couple other variations, because sometimes in the Word it just says Spirit, and it means God's Spirit, but it doesn't say that. So anyhow, take that with a grain of salt. About 120 times. Do you know how many times in the book of Acts the word the Holy Spirit is? I know that you want to know. I know that you want to draw guesses. Let me just see if you guys can guess. Do you think it's like 10 times? 50. Well, that's a good guess. 100. Okay, you guys totally overshot my thing. Now I've got like, I'm going to tell you the truth, and you're all going to be like, oh. It's 42. 42. That means a third of all the times that the Holy Spirit is mentioned is in this single book. Now, I think that's important because what exactly is the book of Acts about? We've studied it in detail, but what's the big picture? It's a historical book, is it not? And what is it talking about? It's the history of the birth of the church. This is how it all began. This church here would not exist if it weren't for the beginning, right? Oh, that was good timing, right? That's not going to happen again. That's not going to happen again at all. The, the epistles, 
and the rest of the New Testament, right? They're all about people's individual stories or letters to specific places or churches, giving them instruction about how to live for Christ or how to follow Jesus or how to turn away from sin and all these important things. But they're not historical books. I mean, they have a history, but they're not historical. They're not giving us a 30-year picture, which is what the book of Acts is. It's a historical book. The only other book in the New Testament that gives us history, actually, is the book of Revelation. I don't know if you usually think of the Revelation as a historical book, but it actually gives, in, the, in chapters 2 and 3, it gives actually an outline of certain churches that are historically then presented, but it also talks about the future of the church. So when we talk about the history of the church in the New Testament, it's the book of Acts and Revelation. Now, the growth of the church, the beginning of the church, how it comes to be, how it appeared in all these cities. Do, do you have a, I, I didn't ask you to do this, but do you have a map of all the, the cities, the, the ones that we are, we've gone through in all the missionary journeys? If so, in the next minute or so, pull it up. If not, no big deal. Everybody else, you can turn to the back of your Bible. There's usually a, ba- a map back there. How many, how many cities did Paul take this gospel to? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I should have counted this before, I know, but I didn't. Thirty, forty cities? Have have has anybody that you know taken the gospel and started churches in like forty cities in a single lifetime? I mean, that's an amazing, amazing thing. How did that happen? How did Paul go to a single place and be there for a couple of weeks and after just a few weeks establish a church and elders there? How did that happen? Yeah. (gasps) The Holy Spirit. I can't even like do my job well for three weeks in a row, much less start a church and anoint (laughs) elders, you know? At least I don't, not in my own power. And, and, and who are the main characters again in Acts? We talked about Paul before. Who's the other main character in Acts? It's Peter, right? We talked about the history of Paul. Let's talk about the history of Peter. Who was Peter before Christ? Who was Peter before the Holy Spirit? Do you guys remember Peter in the Gospels? Was he like, you know, he was zealous. Yeah, but was he holy? No, he had what I call foot-in-mouth disease. Anybody have that? Yeah. Most people I know do. No offense. He was all over the place. And yet in the book of Acts, we see a transformation. Again, how did the transformation happen? How did the transformation happen in Paul's life? It was the Holy Spirit. How did the transformation happen in Peter's life? It was the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember this, but turn, turn back with me to Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit was given. This was on the day of, of Pentecost, and we'll, we'll talk, touch on that in a moment. In Acts chapter 2, when the Lord sent the Holy Spirit, and it had come, when we get to verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunks, talking about the people who were You were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter begins to preach. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but had Peter preached before this? No. First sermon out of the gate. Did he study for this? Was he like like me this last week? Like, oh, commentaries. No, he didn't even have the New Testament, did he? 
Was he prepared for this sermon? No, he was not prepared at all. What was he? He was anointed. He was empowered. You know, all of you have a certain amount of power, right? If you, if you work out, you have a certain amount of power that you exert when you lift up a weight or do a lunge. Nothing more unattractive than a lunge, right? <laughs> Especially for guys. You have a certain amount of power, but to be empowered is very different. It means you get power from another source. And people seek out this kind of stuff all the time, right? In the field of, of fitness, right? People are like, we got to get this giant muscle powder, you know, and you should have more power. Power, you need power, you know? Ooh. So that you can lunge like this. Lunge. That's just a terrible word, right? And, and people, people put on s- seminars about how you can have more power in your life. You, know, you need to learn how to negotiate and deal with people with, you need to have more power in your life, you know. Power. Arnold Schwarzenegger, power. I want some power. Power. Still can't believe the guy got elected governor, right? I mean, isn't that still like... I mean, I know God's on the throne and all, but like, man. A word fitly spoken. People are seeking after power, but being empowered is very different. It's very different. As a, as a Christian, don't you have those days where like, you are going through it and you feel like you're going through the motions, so to speak, of being a Christian? You're like, man, I know I, 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 know I received Jesus as my Savior. I'm, I'm saved. You know, you kind of feel like, oh, okay, I'm saved. I know that, but um, I got no, no gumption, right? Uh, man, I don't want to... I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. What are you in? You're in. You're in need of power, right? You need to be empowered every day as a believer. In all honesty, is like that on some respect. Every day has some kind of dryness. Every day has some kind of emptiness. Any day, every day has some kind of challenge, and you're always going to be running into what's called the emptiness of yourself. The emptiness of yourself. Are you, are, you, are you comfortable with that? Like, have you come to terms with that? Like, oh, here I am, empty again. Are you like, oh, no, it happened again. I was empty again. Because if, if, you're, if you've not grown comfortable with that, let me just kind of encourage you to be okay with that. It's, it's okay when you are empty. Because at that moment, a wonderful thing can happen. And that wonderful thing is this, is you can turn and ask the Lord to give you strength and power. That's not your own. That's not your own. That doesn't come from an idea, however clever it is, of your own mind. That doesn't come from an emotion of your heart, right? Yesterday, I, I, this last week, I, I bought a little children's book for my, for my daughter, and I, I like giving her these little books because she loves to read them. They're like these little, uh, you know, cardboard books. You know, they're six pages long, and you read them like 30 times in a row, right? Um, oh, you want to read it again? Yeah, no, that's great. No. Oh, I wasn't asleep. No, it's fine. <laughs> and um, I really wanted to give her the book, but she was disobedient. But I still really wanted to, you know? Like, you have that, you know, that, that parental thing that's like, maybe just this once I won't count the offense against her. But she was being dastardly. <laughs> dastardly girl. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who's had dastardly girls. But I couldn't give her the gift. But, oh, man, I really wanted to. Are you being a little dastardly with the Lord? 
And he wants to give you gifts. And he wants to give you power. You know, by the end of their lives, Peter and Paul weren't saying things and breathing threats like they were at the beginning. Oh, sorry. I need more power. (laughs) At the beginning of their lives, they were breathing threats. I mean, Paul actually went and got people to go send them to churches and hauled them out of there. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. Paul actually was saying, murder that guy, and they did. By the end of Paul's life, he was not breathing threats at all. He was saying stuff like, me, chief of sinners. Chief of sinners. I feel like that. When we were talking the other day, I forget, I think it was at Home Fellowship. Yeah, it was. We were talking about when you realize the depth of of the depravity that's within you, when you really just take an open look about all that stuff in your heart, the things that you've thought, the things that you've said, the things that you didn't say, but they're still there because you thought them, you know. You're like, oh, God, I didn't let that out. Well, it's still there, the Lord knows. And we were talking about when you really come to, to terms with that, that the Lord's mercy and grace covering that makes you appreciative on a whole other level, right? And it makes you almost want to weep, right? That's what we talked about in Home Fellowship. It makes you want to weep. That's how Paul and Peter were at the end of their lives. Peter, by the end of his life, just talked about his body as a tent. And I don't think it was just that he was talking like in a metaphor, but he really felt like he himself, like, All he was was just a tent. And it was what was inside that tent that was of of great value. The Holy Spirit changed Peter. The Holy Spirit changed Paul. The Holy Spirit empowered Peter. The Holy Spirit empowered Paul. I'm going to take you through just a, a brief synopsis of all the things that the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts. Can we put up that slide, please? Because sometimes I think we forget how many things the Holy Spirit does. So the first thing in Acts 1.8, He empowers people. And this is the beginning of the church age. I'll just read that scripture for you. Actually, let's turn and just read through all these once they go. Jesus speaking said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Power. Let's go to the next thing. He gave scripture to man. So in Acts 1.16 it says, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas. So the Holy Spirit was involved in the writing of scripture. Next, he gives gifts, as we see in Acts 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And that is just one of the gifts that he gives. Let's keep going. He gives words to share, Acts 4, 8. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he began, he had had his second sermon. Again, do you think he prepared for this sermon? No, it was given to him. He gives you words to share. Are you you ever wondering if you have the ability to speak to other people? It's not going to come from you. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit within you. Let's keep going. We can lie to the Holy Spirit. Acts 5.3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land 
for yourself. He fills people. In Acts 6, we know Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. We can resist the Holy Spirit. It was just as we can lie to the Holy Spirit, we can resist Him and His power. Acts 7.51 You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That's not a compliment. (laughs) My mama said I was stiff-necked. Yeah. Like, no. (laughs) That's bad. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. You can receive Him. This is what I really want to be focusing on today. Acts 8, 17. You can receive Him. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We call this the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. He comforts people. Acts 9, 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Notice this. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and walking continually and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to Jews and Gentiles. We see this in Acts 10.45. I'm not going to go. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Let's continue. He calls people for specific ministry. Has the Lord put a, a word in your mind? Has He given you something from the Scripture about what and how you're supposed to serve Him? Every believer should be a servant. Everyone. Now, you may or may not be filled, uh, called to do something here in this local body of which you are a part. But you've got to be called to something. You're going to be called to something. Do you know what that is? In Acts 13.2, one of my favorite passages here, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. He sends people. Acts 13.4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. He sends people. Maybe some of you people who like to go on boats be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit told me to go fishing on the weekend. That may or may not be. The Holy Spirit, He forbids people to go, so not only does He send them, but He also says, "Uh uh-uh, no. Have you ever gotten a no from the Lord through the Holy Spirit? Have you ever gotten the Holy, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh? And you're like, oh, come on. And then you do it anyways. That never works out very well. That's a paraphrase, by the way. That's the Hebrew paraphrase of the uh-uh-uh, uh-uh. I added too many syllables, sorry. He anoints people to be leaders and overseers. Acts 20, 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. He was speaking here to the elders in the city of Ephesus where he had planted a church. Do you see how many things he does? Do you see the, the, the wide scope of the, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He stops you. He tells you to go. He gives you a purpose and a mindset. He'll convict you. You have the freedom to accept His conviction or not. You can lie to Him. You can resist Him. What do you think is going to happen in your life if you resist the Holy Spirit. As a believer, I'm speaking to believers here, what do you think is going to happen if you resist the Holy Spirit? Lollipops and popsicles, things are going to go. It's going to be gravy, man. 
No, it's going to be frustrating is what it's going to be. The Holy Spirit's always going to be telling you about certain things to let go and certain things to put your hand on. The Holy Spirit's going to say, you know, you need to, you need to just get your hands off that activity. And you need your hands to be in this. You need to stop using that, that one word with that one person because it drives them nuts. You need to tell this person that God loves them and that you love them. Hey, you need to just call this person and, and encourage them. Hey, you need to make sure that when you're at that next family gathering that you don't say that thing that you've said for the last five gatherings. You need to turn off that TV show. You, you need to be watching this instead. Hey, that neighbor of yours that borrowed the tools, that doesn't return them, it's okay. <laughs> All kinds of guidance and leading and direction is given to you by the Holy Spirit. And I will say this. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of, again, crazy, kind of nonsensical thing. It's all based on the Word because He's helpful. He was the part of the authoring of the Word. If you're ever wondering if a word that you get is from the Holy Spirit or not, you have a giant text to test it against. Go for it. See. Ask the Lord to confirm it in His Word. But the Holy Spirit does so much ministry and he's involved in so many things. Now, most people, again, when they hear about the Holy Spirit, they have been taught, and correctly so, that the Holy Spirit is a part of salvation. And that is true. Read with me, please, in Ephesians. Let's turn to the Ephesians, because we'll actually be there for a couple of verses here at the end. First and second Corinthians... Then you got Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians. That's right. I said it. It's okay. Ephesians 1, verse 13. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, it says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Most of you are probably pretty comfortable and you recognize that. Uh, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the idea is that when you receive Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit as a seal. This is like an assurance or a promise that like no matter what happens, God has you. That's the idea there, right? He's, he's sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise Right? Nothing can tear you from his hands. But that's not it. Like the Holy Spirit isn't like, well, like God. Is God like one and done? Check. <laughs> Sealed that guy. I got to move on to over this other one and seal this other person. Is that the only thing the Holy Spirit does? No, it is not. It is not. Because he also empowers and feels and directs. And all those things that we went through in the book, he does all those things also. You know, in Galatians 5.22, it says that the, it's called the fruit of the what? Yeah, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. I think sometimes we think of it like it's, like it's just the fruit of God. But it says it's the fruit of the Spirit. Why is that important? Because it's not just based on fruit of having believed in Christ, but fruit in having pursued and, and sought after the gifts of the Spirit that would then allow you to actually be, well, let's all sing it together. Love. Okay, come on, people. <laughs> all right, let's turn there. Come on. Galatians 5.22. Love. Let's all read together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Do you have all of those right now? All of them. All of them. No. There's some kid back there who doesn't either. That poor kid. Every parent in the room is going, Oh, that's not my kid. Oh, that's not my kid. Could be my kid. Dastardly. Just more people that need the Holy Spirit over there. Little Cretans. You know, that term comes from the island of Crete, where the people were known as being very barbaric. That's where we get that term from. Oh, intriguing. Pointless, but okay. The fruit of the Spirit, right? So how are you going to get the fruit? Through the Spirit, right? You have to be being transformed, being filled, being blessed, being in relationship, being receiving from the Spirit to have the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just the fruit of belief. Do you see what I'm saying? Turn back to the book of Acts, chapter 4 now. And in this specific chapter, we see Peter having an experience with the Holy Spirit, not once, but twice. Verse 8 of chapter 4 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then he goes on into his message. And then skip ahead with me to verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not something that is a one and done. It is a continual process of renewal and filling and enfreshing and empowering and strengthening the believer. Do you realize that as a believer you're not supposed to go in your own power and your own strength? Do you realize that when you do that you're not actually drawing on the power of God? Do you realize that the surrender to Him And the seeking of Him, the filling of Him, is the only way that you will actually go forward. Maybe you've hit certain walls in relationships. You've hit certain walls in your character, certain walls in behavior. And you're like, I can't get past it. I keep happening over and over again. I keep falling here. I keep dwelling on that. Well, the key is not to focus on the thing. The key is to focus on the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit and the edification of the Spirit, and the empowering of the Spirit. Jesus explains this, actually, in the book of Luke. Turn with me, Luke 11, verses 11 through He says there, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now that would be a really great breakfast special at one of the local cafes, right? Two eggs over easy, scorpion on the side. If you then being evil, that's right, our own dastardliness, know how to give good gifts to your children, plural gifts, and when you give gifts to your kids, it's not just once, right? Did you feed your kids once? No, all the time you are feeding them. That's the, that's the, that's the passage, right? He's talking about feeding. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Those who ask Him. I I just have to ask for the Holy Spirit. I just have to seek and knock. Yes. 
for the power. And it's not some kind of it's not some kind of weirdness. It's not some kind of you know show. I, I know there's such a thing as kind of Pentecostal craziness, and I, I've seen it. I don't like it. But what I really love, what everybody really loves, is the genuine article, right? Like when someone really loves you and it's the love of Christ through them, you're like, that's it, that's it, that's it. That's what we're talking about. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what He wants to do in your life and mine. But we have to ask for it. We have to, we have to seek it. We have to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of, of Ruth. It's way back there, so this is going to take about a minute and a half, I think, to find. So it's just after the Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So after the Pentateuch, after the first five books of the law, then we got Joshua, then we got Judges, then we got Ruth. The book of Ruth is a really beautiful story, and I'm just going to quote something from the end. So turn to Ruth chapter 4. I'll tell you where to go in just a minute. So just to remind you this story. There is this family that was in Bethlehem, actually. That's where the story starts and ends. They were in Bethlehem, which I think is actually, actually quite important. They left the son married this woman named Ruth. The son died, and then Ruth got hooked up with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they decided to go back to Bethlehem. While there, they were kind of poor and destitute. They didn't have much. All that they'd had before, the, the, Naomi's husband had also died. Like, all the men died. So they were basically just two women trying to survive. And along comes this man named Boaz. It's a beautiful picture of what we call the kinsman redeemer. I'm not going to get into that now. And Boaz sees Ruth in his field. He's an agricultural dude. It's probably a better way of putting that, but whatever. <laughs> what are you doing for a living? Oh, I'm an agricultural dude. That's what I would say. Okay, and he sees her gleaning in his field, which what, what does that mean? It means the harvest has already happened, right? They're, they got all the stuff that they're going to take to market and sell to make a profit, but there's just a little bit left, right? Not the best parts. And she's gleaning. And Boaz has his eye on her, and he ends up taking care of her and it's a beautiful love story. I mean, the book of Ruth is like, I'm surprised more people, like I'm surprised people haven't tried to make a movie out of the book of Ruth. It's perfect. <laughs> Not too long. Interesting characters. Crazy little scenario. But here's the thing. Ruth and Boaz. Do you know what their, their backgrounds are? Because they're a lot like you and me. It's not the greatest background. I, and I don't know what your background is. I don't know what you grew up with. I don't know what your grandparents like. Or, but everybody has a history, right? Everybody comes from something, right? You dealt with something with your parents. They dealt with something from their parents. And I don't know if you know this, but they also dealt with something from their parents. You're just getting a whole line of stuff that people have dealt with for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And then there's you. Ruth was a foreigner. She was from Moab. She was a Moabitess, which means not welcome. <laughs> not welcome in Bethlehem, which is the heart of Judah in Judea. She was a foreigner. What about Boaz? Boaz was the son of Salmon 
and Rahab, the prostitute. Right? You know, like when they have like the royal weddings, and they're like the princess of Welsh and the king of Sweden. You know, had a royal wedding, and everybody like, and people pay attention to stuff, which I still don't get at all to this day. Who cares about this stuff? I just don't get it. But that's, I guess, for another time. But I don't care. Like when people talk about stuff like Princess Diana, I'm like, sorry, no, not interested. We'll talk after. We'll we'll have ourselves a conversation about that. The Down with Royal Weddings Facebook Club is what we're going to do. Yeah. Anyhow, this is the opposite of that. The son of a harlot and a foreigner. But when they came together and the Lord blessed them, look at what is seen as their inheritance. And this is the thing I really want you to focus on. Wherever your background is, it does not matter. It does not matter where you came from. Yes, it affected you as part of who you are. I understand that. It matters not. What matters now is the Holy Spirit in you and your future, and what will happen, and what can happen, and what the Lord wants to do with you. Because look at what he does here. Verse 14 and 15 of Ruth 4. Then the women said to Naomi, bless you by the way, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. In verse 15, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Better to you. Better to you. What is better than what the Holy Spirit can do in your life that you can't do on your own? that cancels out all the debt and all the baggage and all the background. Sometimes people spend the rest of their Christian lives like, I got saved, I met Jesus, here's my baggage from my past, and I'm just going to keep pulling it along. Here's my baggage. I got baggage. Let me tell you about my baggage. And people are like, oh no, it's the... It's the baggage guy. He's going to tell me about his baggage again. You know, it's like things that happen. And I, I'm sorry those things happen. I, I, I truly am. I, I'm sorry you probably went through some things that were dastardly, you know. Like, uh, but let go of that baggage. Stop being defined by the baggage. The stuff that you used to deal with. The stuff that you used to always think about. And seek the Holy Spirit. Seek what is new and true and good and awesome. And let that thing go, man. Man, (laughs) woman, kid, let it go. Because it only ever drags you back. Jesus said that when we follow him, we're supposed to put both hands on the plow And never do this. Never. Why? Why? Because the past will never change, but your future can. Your past this morning will not change, but your future can. Your family, where you came from, not going to change. You can. Your coworkers may not change. You can. And it all begins and ends and continues with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you've got to just look at these characters in the Bible, these Pauls, these Peters, and just say, okay, you made them that way, Do it here too. Come on in. Come on in. Change this vessel and watch God work. 
watch God work to a vessel that is open and submitted to Him and is open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you that the book of Acts at the very beginning didn't start off all that great. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Jesus had been resurrected from the grave. He'd already appeared to the apostles. We read this at the end of the gospel accounts. And now here, Luke writing again, of course, this is, who's the author of Acts, tells us that Jesus comes, and let's turn to just verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of of the Father. So he gives them a commandment to wait for a promise. Some of you are probably in that same place. You're waiting for a promise. The promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized, and this is that promise, with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, that sounds great, right? Like Jesus says, oh, there's a promise that's pretty cool. He's fulfilled everything he ever said he would. There's this baptism of the Holy Spirit. That sounds great also. And what do these guys do as they receive this word? Do they like, oh, awesome. We're, well, you know what? We're just going to wait then. We're just going to sit like, and we're going to wait for your Holy Spirit because you, you've got a plan. No. What do they do in the next sentence? Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus, have you come to make Israel great again? Their eyes were on a different prize. They were all about the nation, the state, the success, getting rid of the foreigners. They'd forgotten about Ruth and Boaz. And by the way, those two are in the lineage of Jesus Christ. He comes through that line. It's not a kingdom that you build here on earth. It's a kingdom in your heart. It's a transformation of you. And they'd forgotten that right off the bat. We can do the same thing. God promises the baptism of the Spirit. And we're like, oh, 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 so that you can do this? And he's like, and you're, and you're like, you have your own goal and you have your own agenda about it. And he's like, uh, no, <laughs> not really. I've got something better in mind. But we have to trust that the Lord's better really is better. As we go on in Acts, before the giving of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, they continue in this thing of doing it themselves. They start to pick the person to replace Judas. They, take, they, they choose this guy named Matthias. And, and, and when you read about what Matthias did in the New Testament, oh wait, you don't. <laughs> Do you see what's happening here? He promises the Holy Spirit, and they're just going off on their own way. Jesus is saying, okay, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the path. It's the narrow way, the Holy Spirit. And you're like, got it. <laughs> and he's like, he kind of brings you back. He's like, okay, okay. Now, once again, once again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the narrow path, and the Holy Spirit is going to help you along. And you're like, yeah. Oh, sorry. Got it. <laughs> no, wait. Try me again, Lord. Come on. Got it. <laughs> and we do all these directions that are not the direction of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you a practical, a practical thing. Has the Holy Spirit ever told you to just keep your mouth shut? To just, to just be quiet? Have you ever heard the Holy Spirit just say, Psst, not now. Not now. And you're like, 
but I have to speak it. It's the truth. It may not be in love, but it's the truth, <laughs> you know. Or we have, or, or whatever it is, and we're like, but I have to be heard. I, they have to, I, I got to tell them what I think. I want to tell them what I think. They're going to know what I think. Okay. <laughs> Has that ever worked out? That never works out for me. This is what happens to me after I do that. The walk of shame. <laughs> The getting in the car after the visit. I know, I know, I know. I, I, you were right. <laughs> and then my wife is a really good confirmer of the Holy Spirit, because then I'll turn to her, and I'll, she'll be like... <laughs> She's very, she's very gracious to me, you know. She doesn't, she just kind of, well, maybe next time, sweetie. You know? <laughs> maybe next time he'll, he'll keep his mouth shut when, yeah. I speak from personal experience. But if we can't trust the Lord, in, in, all, in all seriousness, seriously, um, if we can't trust the Holy Spirit to just be quiet, how are you going to then trust Him to speak? How are you going to trust Him with your money? How are you going to trust Him with your family? How are you going to trust Him with that sticky situation that you don't like to talk about? How are you going to trust him at all? And the answer is, you won't. You'll just keep doing this, 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 and this. The Holy Spirit, when it was given in chapter 2, was given on a specific day. I mentioned this before. It's called the Day of Pentecost. Now, I'm not going to dig back into the Old Testament text, but I'll just tell you what that is. Pentecost was an Old Testament feast. It was a, it was an, in, a thing of enjoyment. And what it was, it was the... It would be, it was, the reason it's called Pentecost was it was 50 days after, I forget which feast came before. I think it was actually after, uh, you know what, I forget, so I'm not going to pretend like I know it. Um, and it was the beginning of the harvest. It was the first fruits, the first fruits of the harvest. And I want you to notice something very specific. Like the, the, the New Testament is a fulfillment of things that were promised in the Old Testament. This is something really important in the study of the Word. But Pentecost was an Old Testament thing. Think about that. Year... After year after year, they celebrated this feast of first fruits, right? And you can kind of imagine what that would be like in an agrarian society. Hey, you know what? The first apples came in. Hey, that's awesome. You know, I think we might actually have food this year. That's great, right? And so that comes in. And you know, you know when the first thing happens if you started a new job and the first thing goes good? Or if you're doing something and like maybe, maybe you're selling houses and that first house sells. Do you remember what that was like? Or do you remember when uh, you transitioned as from a kid to an adult, and you were like, you did that first thing, you're like, I'm an adult. <laughs> ah, cool. Or whatever that was in your life, or, like, or the first time you got a good grade in a particular class, or you made a connection with a friend. Those first things are very, very important. First fruits, though, are not last fruits. They're just the beginnings. So when the day of Pentecost came in the New Testament, Again, it wasn't just a like, hey, it happened today, and again, one and done. It was first fruits. There are more fruits that are supposed to be in our lives. And we'll close here in, back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, beginning in verse 15. Ephesians 5, 
and 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine. Pick one this way. Actually, probably this way. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or bad news, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And this is what I want to leave you with and what I want us to really focus on as we bring today to a close. Don't be drunk with wine. Right? What is what is wine? Is it a kind of a wine and, and alcohol and drink? They lead us to a different experience of ourself, right? It's basically like a fake spiritual experience, drunkenness. It's a fake one, right? And people get all worked up about all kinds of stuff with wine, don't they? They have wine competitions, and these people, they got some, what's a sommelier? What is that? There's somebody who drinks it and tests it, and says, oh, this is so nice. This is from uh, 1735. There's a hint of uh, bergamot and some orange, and a hint of mouse, <laughs> or whatever it is, you know? Like, there's some crazy, crazy things, you know. It's, it would be so fun to be a food critic, wouldn't it? You just make up a bunch of stuff. Be like, the food was delicious. It was delicious. I never had experience like this with food since uh, 1943, before I was born. Uh, living in the desert, which I did not live in. It's amazing. And people are like, we got to go to that restaurant. Did you see the review? But people get onto the stuff about like wine, right? And like the age of the wine and, and who, what grapes were grown to do it, you know, all this stuff. And, and they smell it and there's all this stuff, right? I tell you what, the Holy Spirit has so much more nuance and beauty and amazingness than any of that stuff. People get all worked up about this stuff. We need to be worked up about the beauty and the Holy Spirit, as though it were one of those age wines. Oh, did you did you hear that in the in the Bible study? Did you hear what that? That was a Holy Spirit vintage, eighteen thirty three, with a hint of Paul and just a sprig of Peter. Oh, <laughs> you know, if we could kind of think of it that way. No, and in all seriousness, like yeah. Like if we could, if we could think of the Holy Spirit like this amazing thing that always makes the meal better. What if you brought a bottle of the Holy Spirit to your next meal and let that thing change the topic? And if you let the Holy Spirit and the essence of that was the thing you really wanted in all the things of your life, because it says here. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. Be, okay, so be, so like be now, right? Present, filled, done. Be, be done. Be. How can you be and done at the same time? How can you... Be, and then fill, but already filled, but how can you? It's continuous, that's right. A more accurate translation of this is, be being filled by the Holy Spirit. Be being filled. You go to work, ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You go home, I'll tell you what, one of my most ardent prayers is after I have a day of work and I go home, and I love my kids and I love my family, but that's hard <laughs> to walk in there after a day's work and be the kind of dad I'm supposed to be. And honestly, I, I've just come to the, to the point where I'm, just, I'm, I'm resigned to the fact that I have anything to offer there in my home unless it's by the power of the Spirit. 
I, I turn off the radio as I'm turning into that last street in my driveway. This is my life. This is what I do. This is my life in Jesus Christ. I turn off the radio and I go, oh Lord, I need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you can read into that what you want. My home's awesome, but I still need strength. Oh Lord, give me the Holy Spirit so that I can walk in there in your power and not my own. And that's the essence of this, this whole study. Can you ask and, and ask and ask and ask again for the Lord's power and not your own? For the Lord's giftings and not your own? And can you taste that so that you begin to learn that when he says, this is the way, the truth, and the life, you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. 